a new beginning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of C-File Talks. In today's episode, we will be having an intimate chat with one of our esteemed C-File Talks contributor, Angelo Butler. Angelo is a senior analyst here at C-File and is also a chartered financial analyst with over 10 years of experience in the asset management and corporate advisory sectors. Angelo graduated from the College of the Bahamas, now the University of the Bahamas, with a Bachelor's of Business degree in Finance, and in that year, he received the CFA Society of the Bahamas Award for Outstanding Academic Achievements in Finance. Angelo also obtained his Master's of Business Administration degree from Beijing Normal University in Beijing, China. At CFAL, Angelo is responsible for the day-to-day management of the Securities Research and Analysis Department, which involves providing analysis of security data for international and local securities to inform investment managers and aid them in the investment process. Angelo is a member of the CFAL Investment Committee, which governs and oversees the investment strategy and plan for discretionary portfolios and the CFAL family of funds. Thank you, Angelo, for agreeing to this sit-down with us. Let's get right into it. Tell us about yourself, your academic path, your age, and the trigger points that got you to where you are today. Okay, so um, good day, everyone. Um, So I'm 29 years old. and I think you've mentioned most of my um, academic background. So like you said, I did a bachelor's at UB. Um, you know, once I completed that, I was like, you know, no more school, about to live my life. Somehow I ended up doing an MBA, um, got a scholarship, um, random email um, related to China. And so I was like, okay, I have nothing to lose. So I went. It was for one year. Um, and that turned out to be a good experience. And, you know, after that, I said, you know, definitely no more school after this. <laughs> well, but, well, before you go on to um, your other academic achievements, why China? Like, what were you thinking to make that jump to leave uh, the Bahamas and study in China? Well, I one of the primary things I said after um, University College of the Bahamas at the time was that I was not going to cause my parents any more expense with education. And so, you know, it was free. Everything paid and they gave us a stipend. So it's like 200 US a month, but that was enough to live. Um, so I said, you know, it's free. Um, it's a year. It probably will be a nice break from, you know, because I worked while I was in College of the Bahamas the, the entire time. And so I said, you know, this will be the only time I probably won't be working for a very long time as I start um, life. So I went and it turned out to be good. I thought, you know, China was this rundown places you would see on or portrayed by media. Um, but it was really developed and it was a really nice um, experience. I'm really glad that I went and I always encourage friends and, and persons in university. Now, if you see those opportunities, just go. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Did you, um, did you have challenges with the language? Um, yes. When we first got there, the, the first night, you know, they put us in our rooms and they were like, okay, we'll see y'all in the morning, but we needed food. So we had to go downstairs in our hotel, I was a McDonald's on the bottom floor. And, um, you know, we were there in there, like just pointing at signs and hoping they, and no one understood, um, what we were saying. So it was difficult, but, you know, early on we learned that, um, 
all of Chinese, all of the college students in China um, have to know some sort of English. So we would just go to them and ask them to help us. And we would say, we know you can speak Chinese. Sorry, we know you can speak English. So are you able to tell us where this is? And eventually we started picking up on things and being able to, you know, get around. That's adventurous. I think that's a good story. And that's really adventurous. And so you, you after your MBA, um, what was next? Yeah, so I um, after that, I said, you know, I definitely done with school, no more studying. Um, and I always said I would tease my doctor friends who, you know, I was like, you're going to be in school for 10 years. And ironically, I ended up pursuing the CFA program after that. Um, and that took me about four years. So I, in a, at the end of it, I ended up spending 10 years studying myself. Um, and, you know, I really took that. Um, I was a bit upset about something that we'll probably discuss later. But, um, you know, I said, I'm going to take this and get a new job. And, and so that's how I ended up doing that. I agree. Um, so I think you are a successful uh, young Bohemian, but success is relative. What does success mean to you? Um, well, I think for me, um, and it's not the only thing, but I think if, if, you know, I feel like my parents are proud of me, um, I, I think I consider myself um, successful. You know, my daddy doesn't really say a lot, but one thing he's going to do is brag, oh, my son do this, my son do that, my son do this. And um, same time, my mom, well, she's quiet, she won't brag, but, you know, I, so it's just trying to make them um, proud, but I also try to be um, well-rounded and balanced. I don't want my entire life to be any one specific thing because if that fails, then I fail. Um, so I try to, you know, I have work. I have um, my home life. I also help out with sports. I like to play sports. So it's su- success to me is just being um, balanced and well-rounded um, and contributing to society um, in a positive way. You know, if if everyone makes a positive contribution and I think everything gets better so um, you know it isn't just financial or work or it's just all around being good um, at the I agree that's important because for a lot of people success may mean that you have a fat bank account or you have the appearance of things that make you look successful the latest gadgets the, the newest cars and you dress a certain way and you could take vacations to to places and so they define that as success, and then for a lot of young persons, it seems so much out of reach, you know, if they use that definition for success. But I like your definition about it being balanced and you're contributing to society positively. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm very basic. I I hate having to dress up. I hate, you know, I hate those things. Um, I just and especially you know now that I'm married and another kid, like I, you know, I don't care about a lot of things. I don't care about impressing and because it's like. What am I doing it for? So I'm very basic in that sense. So um, of course we all want to be, I guess, rich or well off. And but you know that alone isn't, um, I think, being successful because I think you get to a point too where um, you'll have enough money and you'll still be unhappy or um, you know unsatisfied. So I think you have to have that balance and and look at other things as being successful. Yeah, I like that, that that balance. So what advice would you give to young Bohemian males that are starting out in their careers but are discouraged about securing a good quality of life in the Bahamas? And then I want you to also to tell me what you feel a good quality life is. Um, so males, I think, um, well, specifically to 
through finance as well as um, other sectors. You know, in the I think in the rest of the world, most senior executive and corporate positions are dominated by males. But in the Bahamas, it seems to be the opposite, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunity um, for males to, you know, step ahead. If you look at the graduation rates at the university and, and similarly the rate of um, men in high positions, I think there's a lot of room and opportunity there. Um, you know, from time to time, you see persons um, asking or looking for persons for employment, and they always ask, we need some males in the office. You know, we need some males. People are always asking me, hey, do you know any young students who are males? And, you know, I, to I be honest. I've said that a couple of times around here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. I've said that as well. <laughs> and, you know, it's, you know, a lot of times I'm like, I don't know any, you know. Um, so I, I think when you're in university, especially coming down in your later years, um, you have to take advantage of that and, and just show that you're interested because a lot of the lecturers at university are senior executives in, in various companies. And so, you know, networking is good. Um, so you have to push and, and um, you know, take it serious because there's not a lot of, of, of males per se um, pursuing college and those opportunities. Um, so you really need to stand out because I think the opportunities are there. Um, in terms of a good quality of life, I, you know, for me, it's just not really having to worry. Um, I mean, you'll always have worry in life, but if you could avoid, you know, some other worries that, um, you know, studying, getting a decent job, um, a decent salary, um, you know, if you can avoid those, I think it's, it, it's a good quality of life because life is itself, life, the government, weather, um, you know, prices of things is, is always going to be other things that you have to worry about. So for me, it's just, you know, knowing that I can survive and, and live a relatively stable and decent life, not the over materialistic things. Yeah. You know, we talk about the, a lot about the brain dream, you know, a lot of young professionals or young persons who go over seas to get an education and they stay. And then we also have recently where a number of young persons have moved to Canada. And one of the things they, they attribute it to is the better quality of life. So for instance, I know of a couple, um, they had two children and they decided to move because they didn't want to put their kids in the government school system. We know the challenges there. And they wanted private schools, but it was so expensive. Um, and they lived in a condo. That was expensive, you know, to get a car and to make car payments, all these expenses. So they decided to move to Canada where they were able to put their kids into um, public school. But the quality of education was much better and they were able to live comfortably. You know, not necessarily in a mansion, but to live comfortably with dignity as opposed to the cost of living um, being so high in the Bahamas and did not afford them a basic quality of life. Yeah, um, and I agree with that. The, the only thing is it's, you know, it's difficult to compare us to, you know, Canada, the U.S., Europe. Um, I mean, simply put, we can't compete on in terms of price, um, salaries, um, you know, standard of living, public transportation, public education. Um, you know, those countries are 
much older than us in terms of their political systems and all of that. So um, I, I think we have to keep pushing to get there. But yeah, that's a, a challenge that's, you know, going to probably persist and be around because um, we simply can't compete with those, um, as people call them, first world or, or developed um, countries as a developing country. So, you know, that's, I guess, a, ba- a much bigger um, discussion and issue that um, we have to keep working on. But as a young professional or young Bahamian, do we do you think that we are doing enough to at least provide that quality of life that you take? For instance, you mentioned transportation, right? In this country, there's a feeling that you must buy a car to survive, right? The bus system is not reliable, Um and then if you don't want to be that person sitting in a bus with a bunch of noise and, and, and having people disturb you on some occasions, you know, you go and buy a car. The taxi cab system is, I don't know what we have here. You know, you can't call a cab right now to say, well, okay, you know, I need to go from like a five-minute drive, I need to go from here down there or I drop my car off to be serviced rather than calling a family member to wait with me. I could just catch a cab to go to work, right? So a lot of these things, I don't think it's so much the money, but it's just the planning that is missing and the execution to put these stuff in place to help Bahamians to appreciate or to help the Bahamians to live a better quality of life. Something simple like that. I'm not talking about where you got to pump a lot of money in, but just reviewing the systems and changing it so that it will benefit Bahamians more. Yeah. And I think they're the, you know, the way I see it, the, the challenge is the close knit, I think, nature of this country as well. Um, you know, if you try to reform the bus and taxi systems, it, you know, there are legacy owners and and persons who are going to push back and call this one and this one is so they can say oh we can't do that right now um so i think you know i don't know how you get around that um because everyone knows everyone in this country right if, if the government comes down too hard on any one sector um someone pushes back and something seems to happen so it you know it feels from that aspect i as a young person, I guess, you know, you kind of feel like those things may never change. And I think most people have found themselves just trying to work around um, these, I guess, roadblocks as they feel, um, you know, because it's, it's probably going to take a generation to really um, break some of those, I guess, chains or linkages that... A Margaret Thatcher type leadership. Yeah, <laughs> Someone's going to have back. to be willing to come in and, and know that they're going to lose the election, the, the following election, and just make those changes. Um, but, you know, so far we haven't. I mean, we haven't the last, what, 20 years, they've lost election any in, in any event. So cheapest we fix uh, what we need to fix, but I don't know, the will just doesn't seem to be there to tackle those issues. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it will improve the quality of life for Bahamians and will help the majority of Bahamians. So I think maybe that's something that, um, really needs to be considered. So, Angelo, you are on the cups of your 30th birthday. You're a professional. You're married with a family. You own your home. You have a healthy savings, which includes an investment portfolio account and a retirement account. And you have very good work ethics. I'm blowing your horn here. <laughs> 
So tell us, what are some of the success, sex, successful financial habits that you have employed to help you to get to where you are today? Okay, well, I, um, you know, I started saving um, very early. Um, you know, when I was maybe from, I was 13, my mom worked at a, a store, like a, it, the name was um, Discount Mart, I think it was, on top of Del Marquee Street. And she would work there in the evenings and on Saturdays. And so most days I would get dropped there. And while I was there, I would like pack grocery bags and, and make some tips. And not that she made us, but we pretty much gave her the money and she would put it in our Scotiabank account. And I did that from I was 13 until I was probably like 18. You know, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but it kind of got my mind around saving and seeing what it does. Um, and then, of course, through UB, I worked the entire time. So I would take a full load of classes and I would work as well. And I lived home, so I lived a very basic life. I just put gas in my car, bought food, and I went to school, worked, went to school, and went home. I didn't do a lot of traveling. So, you know, those years really, I think, put me ahead. And I always encourage people while you're young, um, you know, between 18 and 20, maybe 24, 25, if you work, because a lot of people in university work. Um, if you can, those are the best years you'll have for saving. Because after that comes family and mortgage and things that just seem to endlessly take your money. Um, so, you know, get use those years to really get ahead. Although it requires um, sacrifice and giving up some things that you may see your friends doing and, and living and bawling. And, um, you know, so I those years I really used um, to get ahead. Um, but I, in terms of avoiding debt, you know, I just, I don't think debt is bad. Um, but you know, I've just, you know, I don't take good loans for the only thing I have the loan for is something I can't afford outright, which is a home. Um, but also, you know, I'm married, so we have two incomes now, which I think is a big help. You know, two incomes are always better than one, um, no matter how you slice it. Um, so that has helped, um, to make it easier for us because you know a light bill a three hundred dollar light bill for one person is high, but for two people it's about one fifty each. So, you know, you start splitting every expense and you know it doesn't feel um as overwhelming. So So you attribute your financial uh success to your parents, you think? Yeah, I think my parents um helped a lot. They they did not per se give me money, mm -hmm. but um the I principles. Did, yeah, and I did have an environment where, you know, there wasn't a lot of pressure on me per se. I would pay bills while I lived there, but it wasn't. And I think, you know, unfortunately, some people find themselves in situations where they live at home and they have to pay everything. And so they can't really um, get ahead and get out of that. Um, you know, so those persons have, have that challenge. But, you know, you find that a lot of people that live home still don't take advantage of those years and, you know, use those years to get ahead and save, you know. Because that, like I said, it's probably the the, the lowest your co your living expenses will ever be. After that, it just seems like life just comes and says, "Give me this, give me that, give me." You know. So when you were working as a packing boy, you said you saved from thirteen to fifteen to eight to eighteen. How much monies you had in your bank account on uh, average? When I when I was eighteen, I had about maybe eighteen hundred dollars saved. That's good. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, from being a packing from being a packing boy, that's yeah. that's really good. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it 
you know, some days I would make like $5 there because I would only be there like an hour in the evening. But, you know, around Christmas time, you would yeah. really make um, a lot. And so, you know, over five years, it was maybe about $350, $400 per year. But it, it taught me and my sister as well, um, you know. The value so, of hard work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So on that note, what motivates you to work and succeed? Um, I, I think that, well, now that I have a family as well, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, you feel responsible for your family and you want to make sure that you don't really struggle or, or find yourself desperate and in bad situations. Um, so, you know, that's really a driving force now. Um, you know, I always say if I had a son, I may have worried less because, you know, <laughs> your son, he has to figure it out on his own. But my daughter, you know, it's like, okay, I have to make sure she... Taking care of so straight. That that has even made it um, worse. Um, but also, I've I've watched my parents. Um, you know, growing up, now I understand a lot of what they went through when they were raising us. Um, you know, only having one car. Um, you know, I always say my mom went. I I don't know how she made it, but she went forever without a car. But I understand now why. Um, you know, what it took to keep two of us in private school. And, you know, it's like seeing all of that, it's like you can't go there and waste, waste your life and, and not be, not push and, and make them feel like what they did was, was worth it because, you know, working two jobs and struggling and sacrificing so much of your life for your kids, I think, um, you know, that's always in the back of my mind. Like you can't let them down. You have to, you know, make something of yourself. Yeah, that's good. I remember, um, when I was studying for my CFA, um, I was working. I was working at CFAL, and we were at the Goodman's Bay Corporate Center. And so I used to park my car. It was an underground garage, and I decided to park because I was a little concerned about it. So I parked it in the front, and I used to put some hours in. Like I would leave the uh, the office like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And one of my colleagues at another company in the building, she said her boyfriend was like, who drives that red coupe? That person does not have a life. They are continuously, you know, in that building. And, you know, I said back then, that's what I, I was motivated to do that because I really wanted to get, you know, my CFA designation. I really wanted to get that designation to improve myself, you know, to, 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 to do better. And so those sacrifices were made and I was motivated to make the sacrifices. And I, I spent a lot of time at the office and I know a lot of persons probably saw the car there, but that's what I had to do in order to, to get, um, my CFA and, and to, to improve myself. Yeah. And it was the same for me studying for that exam. Um, you know, even my, my wife now, we were dating at the time and she knew like in the evenings, don't bother me. Um, when it gets close to the exam, you might not see me. So, um, you know, it, it took a lot of time and I, I think people don't see that, you know, they just see the end result. And, you know, you know, like I said, I've been studying from, I was 18 straight up until I was probably like 27. Um, so over 10, about 10 years I spent studying, um, religiously every day, every night. Um, so it, it took a lot and, you know, it, it, like I said, I probably did not have as much of a social or in, you know, going out life as a lot of my peers and friends. Um, but I knew that the end result would be, um, 
rewarding. And, you know, now I would say I'm receiving the benefits of, of the time that I did put in back then. Two of my favorite quotes from Warren Buffett, an American business magnate, investor and philanthropist, and also known as the Oracle of Omaha, are on spending and savings. On spending, he quoted, if you purchase things you do not need, soon you will have to sell things you need. And on savings, he quoted, don't save what is left over after spending, but spend what is left over after savings. How do these quotes line up with your personal experiences and what advice do you have for young Bahamians adults who find it difficult to save and manage their spending? Yeah, so the, well, on the, the first one in terms of buying um, things you don't need, um, you know, I think that's very um, true. Um, you know, I think very hard before I, I purchase something, especially because nothing you buy, you can sell immediately at the same price, right? The minute, if you buy a brand new car today and you take that back to the lot tomorrow, that's not going to be the same price. So, you know, I always think very um, long and hard about um, those types of things. Um, on the second um, point, well, back to the first point, the, you know, they, there's this rule that says, I don't know what the exact timeline is. I think it's maybe three days or a week, but it says, you know, if you want to buy something and you see something in the store, wait a week and see if you still remember that as well as go back to get it. And I think you will find that a lot of times, you know, it would have been an impulse purchase. And so you don't even remember it all when it's four or five days later, you're like, oh, I don't need that. Um, cause it's, you know, impulse spending is a thing you walk in somewhere, you see this man, I need this, but you may not really need it. It may just be, you know, a spur of the moment thing. Um, but for the second one, I think that's, um, you know, very important. And I always say, you know, you can't tell the government, um, for example, don't take my NIB out, right? So it comes out before and you have to live off what's left. So if you take the same, um, mindset for saving, um, you know, you, you do it. You, if your work facilitates deductions to maybe an investment firm or, or some sort of separate savings account, um, you know, tell them, take it out first. And, and especially when you're young, find a way to live off what's left. Because if, if you make $2,000 a month and you let that come to your account, you could easily find a way to spend that. But if you say, you know what, I want to save 20%, $400, you say, okay, my, I'm putting this to a separate account every month. You could either let your work do it or even the bank accounts now, you can automatically set those things up. So as soon as the funds hit, it automatically comes off. You know, put it to an account you have to go in the bank to get because no one wants to go in the bank and stand on long lines. Um, and, you know, if you make 2000 and you take off 400 live your life around that 1600 and also, you know, you have to avoid lifestyle inflation. Um, you know, the minute, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you get a raise and you go and spend more, then you right back to living paycheck to paycheck. So, um, you know, if, if you could live a decent life off whatever that number is for you and you get more money, um, yes, you could enjoy some stuff and spend a bit more, but same time too, you could increase the amount of savings and, you know, avoid that. You know, I so agree with what you're saying. Um, I found a quote by an English composer, William Corbett, and he said, thousands upon thousands are yearly brought into a state of poverty by their great anxiety not to be thought poor. 
And I feel that that's a lot of what goes on, the impulsive type spending. Persons spend to buy things to make people think that they are wealthy. But then, like Warren Buffett is saying, if you spend to buy things you don't need, you have to sell the things you need in order to survive. And I think that's a, that's a great pressure. I'm not sure how to help persons correct that, but I think that is more behavioral or psychological that you would go to great extreme debt or risk poverty just to buy things for people to think that you are doing better than you really are. Yeah, and I, I think, again, the, the close-knit nature and the, the smallness of of the Bahamas, not just Nassau, I think makes that even more prevalent, you know, and, you know, the social media as well, you know, you see people flaunting and showing what they have. And a lot of people, um, I guess, have challenges avoiding and ignoring that and, and just living their life for themselves. Um, you know, a lot of people too, if you came up, you know, difficult, some of them feel like, okay, this is my time to break out and really um, enjoy. But, you know, you have to avoid that or you fall into, you know, very dangerous habits and, and trends that set you up for failure. Well, Angelo, this was an awesome conversation. I so appreciate you agreeing to do this. We have come to the end of another episode of the C-File Talks. Thank you so much again for having this discussion and thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please send us a note at info at cfile.com or visit our website at www.cfile.com and show your support. Thank you to Cfile for sponsoring this episode. Until next time. Mm-hmm.